1: And this is, is DBT and Me.
0: Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. And Happy New Year. Oh, my gosh. I
1: mean, it'll be it totally a is. ways out, but <laughs> right? <laughs> it's 2024 when we're recording this. I don't know. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing about podcasts is to realize that everything that's related to time swiftly becomes inappropriate, right? Someone's going to find our podcast 15 years from now and be listening to this in July. <laughs> It's not the fucking new year, you weirdos. Anyway, um, weird things Kate thinks about on occasion with having a podcast that exists in the world. Um, So what are we going to talk about today? Though, Uh, We are going to talk about the biosocial theory. What exactly that is will make more sense in a bit. I'll go into it a little bit more soon. Um, Just to tee it up, though, it's funny that we have taken four years to get around to talking about it. Because the handouts we're basing today on uh, are always part of the extra homework in night one of the groups that we slash I have led. And so it's funny that it's a night one handout that it took us four years to get around to doing. <laughs> yeah, because it's
0: like this weird uh, thing where it's like, it's totally not a skill, but like, it's such important information. No. Yeah, like it just looks like a cracks at one point or another. And I was like, hold on a second.
1: We should talk. About I suspect this. it slipped through the cracks when we thought we were going to do like, I don't know, 30 episodes of the podcast and then just wipe our hands of it and be done. Right. Like we're like, we're yes. going to get to the end of the skills and then be done. Of course. And <laughs> <laughs> here we still are. <laughs> and here we still are four years later. So before I go into a little bit more of what it is and we start talking about it in earnest, time to do promotion. Let's see if I can do this without tripping over my own tongue like I have the last few times. <laughs> So first and foremost, because I don't think we give it first and foremost attention enough of the time, so I'm going to lead with the book DBT yes. for Everyone: A Guide to the Perks, uh, Perks, Pitfalls, and Possibilities of DBT for Better Mental Health. I don't know why I always want to reverse the order of pitfalls and perks. So it's my out of peas, a lot of, a lot of alliteration. One. It is. It makes me happy. I like the alliteration. Uh, anyway, the book is out yonder into the universe, uh, and we would love it if you guys wanted to get a copy but more importantly than that if you've gotten a copy could you give it a review pretty please wherever you bought it from we have one. Mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah, on one one five star rating which I like, oh, makes me so happy i know and, and I know. also we want and more. also <laughs> we want more i know i'm like oh god the longer we do this the more i sound like someone who does a podcast it's a little bit annoying but uh so, the book don't forget it uh, we are pretty proud of it. And it also comes in audiobook If you want to listen to a posh sounding British lady say it. So to you, you know, if that's your thing, other ways you can support us is through Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash dbt and me. You can also check out our Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash dbt and me. We have fun things like socks and things. I don't know. A throw pillow. I'm so proud of that throw pillow. Anyway, uh, fun stuff in the Etsy store. Uh, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or really whatever platform it is that you're listening to us through. Uh, and let's see, send us an email, dbtnmepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our other podcasts, The Couch and the Chair, wherever you're listening to this one, uh, you can find that one as well. And uh, last but not least, abnormally, I'm excited, uh, I'm going to be a guest on someone else's podcast for the first time i have never been on someone else's podcast before and so i'm excited to announce that in march i believe it will be i uh will be on the miss behavior journal podcast and that's miss as an m-i-s-s uh behavior not one word but two words (laughs) Uh, anyway, I'll put a link to the podcast in the show notes and I'll probably put it in Facebook also when we get closer, but I'm just trying to let you guys know so you can get ready to hear me talk about neuroscience in a nerdy and comedic fashion, because that's what that podcast is all about. It's a neuroscience comedy podcast, which if you're anything like me, that just made you bounce up and down a little bit in excitement that that exists in the world. So you're welcome. Now you know where to go find it. Um, oh, speaking of Facebook, you can also join our Facebook group, which apparently I didn't put in the intro bit, but I remembered anyway. So go me. Um, <laughs> uh, just go search for DBT and me podcast in uh, Facebook and you will find us in a pretty thriving community. We're up over 5,000 now, aren't we? Not quite 5,000, but not we quite? pretty close. Okay, we we're could almost be close. We were. by the time this comes out. We're getting there. I was like, we were riding up near there. So I wasn't sure if we'd crossed the line yet or not. Um, but still lots of people doing chats. Oh, and I ought to put this in the show notes also, um, help me remember Michelle, but, uh, there's also a, um, peer led drop in DBT social hour group that is through my clinic and it's free, uh, Every other Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I know that sucks for those of you, for instance, over in England, because I think that is the middle of the actual night. Um, But (laughs) Uh, still, it's a great resource and just an opportunity to chat with other people who are into DBT and uh, ask them how they're handling any problems they might be having um ask them what their success stories are share what you found to work for you uh anyway i just love it to be a place where people can talk more about dbt okay that was the longest fucking introduction i have ever given michelle (laughs) because of the extra (laughs) mentions so uh oh right into biosocial theory what i forgot even what we were talking about um too much too much promotion no that's not true we're wonderful and i love promoting all of our stuff so what is biosocial theory? We really will get more into this as we read each of the different elements here, but overarchingly, right, this is the acknowledgement, I would say, and a description of how our biology, both the like, uh, in the moment and historical biology of us, and also our interactions with our environment and our social interactions, which so people and relationships count as part of your environment for this uh, way of thinking of it, how all of those things tee us up to have a difficult time regulating our emotions. I know that a lot of folks, well, a lot of folks everywhere, but certainly a lot of people who come to DBT come to it with struggles with emotion regulation and really wondering why they struggle so much with emotion regulation. There's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of um, self-criticism that can go into that. And so I really like this just high level, overarchingly, the biosocial theory, because I think it's just nicely normalizing and validating. Uh, of some of certainly (laughs) things we're about to read you are not the only things that make it difficult to regulate our emotions this is not an exhaustive list uh but this is a particular sort of theory of uh, how our bodies and our environments interact together to help make it easier or harder for us to regulate our emotions um anything you'd add to the overarching intro there uh, Michelle? Or is that I like, no, I feel like I if I'm saying see- more, I'm going into the particulars. <laughs> yeah, I think you hit on it perfectly.
0: Because I don't know, I hear a word like biosocial. And I'm just like, wow, that sounds really scientific. I don't understand what that means. But you broke it down into very simple terms, which is basically just saying like, it's about biology, right? Our physiology, yep. our bodies, our bodies, yep. nature, right? And then it's also about nurture the social environment and just looking at how those two things interact together. Yeah. Intersect. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you did a great explanation. (sighs) Okay. So yeah, I will kick us off with the first thing that we're going to talk about. And don't be weirded out if Kate and I talk about this in terms of boxes, (laughs) because the (laughs) handout that we're referring to literally breaks each of the components up into a different box. So you might hear us say things like, oh, I'm going to read the next box or box number one. And that's just What we're talking about is how it's laid out in the handout, which we will make sure to post for you guys. So you can look at this too. But basically, we're just going to go through this by one of us will read the box and then we're each going to share our thoughts, is how this is going to be laid out. But the other thing I'm realizing on a personal note that I want to make sure to mention before we dive in is that I'm not recording in my usual spot today uh, for the last, I don't know, however long now. It's been a while. I record at my parents' while. house every Monday um, yep. when we do our episodes. And so my son is with them. But today I'm recording at home in our new house. So I'm going to hope the sound quality is going to be okay for you guys. And also... That means just that my son has a little more access to me than he normally would. He is a big fan of running down the hallway and banging on the doors (laughs) in our house. (laughs) So if he hears me talking, despite my husband's best efforts to rein him in and corral him, you guys may hear a cranky two-year-old in the background today. And that just is what it is. So... Radical acceptance. Right. Radically accepting that our, you know, it's the same way as like when Jen interrupts you. Not too different. Right? There may be some interruptions on my end today. We'll just roll with it. Okay. But I'm going to go ahead and we're just going to read what it says on the handout verbatim. So I'm just going to read this first box here, which says, emotional vulnerability is biological. It's simply how some people are born. They are more sensitive to emotional stimuli. They can detect subtle emotional information in the environment that others don't even notice. They experience emotions much more often than others, and their emotions seem to hit for no reason from out of the blue. They have more intense emotions. Their emotions hit like a ton of bricks, and their emotions are long lasting.
1: So what are your thoughts on this? I like this one. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) I will say I both like this one and I technically tend to think of it as a little bit even more expanded from what it's talking about. Uh, Because yeah, it speaks really well to the biology that we're all, you know, that we come into the world with. Uh, One of the most stereotypical things I think of is that some people just have a larger and beefier amygdala uh, than other people. And that's just going to mean bigger fight or flight responses, larger emotions, etc. So I like the neuroscience behind it. And I I support everything it says. (laughs) Normalizing, etc. But I I also think that it can be used to normalize or speak to more uh, in the moment, the biology of the moment. So, like, the kind of things that please is meant to address. Um, Also, things like trauma. When I see the thing on here Mm -hmm. where it talks about maybe able to pick up on more subtle emotional cues than other people. Uh, I think to myself, I wasn't born that way, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a biological fact for me now, right? Because, uh, again, of our interaction with our environments. So, uh, I think of this one in large part as a yes and. <laughs> yes, everything it says. And even beyond that, things like uh, being sick, being in pain, being uh, on new medications, being, you know, things like that in the moment can be biological, things that shift our ability to regulate our emotions and things that happen over the course of our lifetime can change our brains uh, and our, um, yeah, can change our brains and our Uh, biology. There we go. I'm like, what's the other B word I want? Um, so I really, I really appreciate that. I think that this can help do a lot to help us understand ourselves better and also give more grace to the people around us. Um, and it aligns really well for me with something that I've often talked to clients about, which is, I, I don't believe there's any such thing as an overreaction. Mm. Uh, I think there's only like sensible reactions to data we may not entirely understand. Uh, and I think that this can be a part of this, right? If someone has, for instance, a just way overactive amygdala, uh, they're probably oftentimes going to have reactions that many people observing from the outside would be like, whoa, that's a little much, right? Of a reaction. And it's not, right? It's not an overreaction. It's their body functioning as it's intended to, to the stimuli it's being given. They just have a different body to begin with. Uh, so it's not all of what I think of when it's the you no know, such thing as an overreaction, but I think it. Is part of it and dovetails well into that idea. So those were the things that I thought about when going over this one. What about you?
0: I really like, I just want to say, I really like what you were just talking about. I'm going to steal that and use that (laughs) with my clients, right? I, I like that, that there's no such thing as an overreaction.
1: Even like if you reactions. pat someone on the back. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. If you pat someone on the back and they scream, you might at first be like, oh, Jesus, what the fuck is that reaction? But then yeah. they're like, um, I have a third degree sunburn on my back and you just slapped it. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense now that I know. So it's either like a biological thing or a wound, right? A trauma. Mm-hmm. So you're having a perfectly reasonable reaction to someone sticking their finger in your open wound. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's not an overreaction once we know what's actually there. Uh, so yeah. Figure if you're talking about it more, I'll tell you the rest of the story. But. <laughs> no, it's perfect
0: because I really didn't – and I agree with you too about like how trauma can play mm-hmm. a role with this. Even though they're talking about it as it's simply how some people are born and that's really what I honed in on in my response to this first one. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely agree with you that a lot of the things it talks about can absolutely stem from going through trauma 100%. But, like, the biggest thing, I think, for me with this box is that this is – it's very validating. <laughs> it's very validating um to so many people who have been told their whole lives just like, oh, you're just – you've always been sensitive, mm-hmm. right? You've always been – you were – as a child, you always had big feelings or that kind of a thing, right? And, I mean – we could put other, I suppose, less nice terms to that. Uh, you were out of control. You were really hard to manage. You were whatever whatever could be said. And that it really speaks to, you know, this is not your fault. You weren't a bad kid. You did not cause this. I don't know. That feels weird to say. But, like, you, you are not at fault for the responses that you have. Um, it's just part of who you are and how to, even if other people in your life have struggled to accept that, how can you start to accept it about yourself and recognize that, yeah, this is just, this is just you rather than trying to like fit yourself into some kind of mold and be like everybody mm. else when you just may not be, um, and that that's okay. Okay. Because I was thinking reading reading this box about how um, that maybe it's just because I'm the parent of a two-year-old. <laughs> so, you know, I see his little personality forming as he goes through the world. And in his case, I mean, he's honestly like a pretty chill kid. He
1: really is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Kate spent a fair amount of time around my son. Like when I'm just like, okay, we're all done with blah, blah, blah. He does he, you know, no, he doesn't do that. He just waves bye-bye at it, whatever it is. And then we move on to the next thing. I'm like, okay, I wasn't expecting you to transition that easily, but all right, right. Like he's, he's pretty chill. Not always. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he was, he was having a moment before I hopped on to record today, but, um, you know, you, you just, you see kids' personalities forming and there's a lot of research that talks about this, as they call it in the scientific research realm, Right zero to three, those years of before we're three and what all happens for us. And so much forms and so much happens. There's a lot of arguments out there that would stipulate that like, that's the most formative time of our life is zero to three. We are making the most neural connections. We learn more about the world during those three years that we're going to at any other time, like we're just taking in so much. And so, There's a lot of research out there that would say by the time a child is three, you can get a pretty good grasp of that kiddo's personality. And guess what? I mean, maybe, I mean, some people I've heard of have this where they have like very, very early memories, but let's be Mm -hmm. honest, 99.9% of us don't have any memories from before we're three and yet we're already like, yep, a pretty decently forming human being in the world by the time we're three years old, even though there's so much we still can't do and we still don't know. And you'll see this with kids a lot What it talks about in this box of just, there just are some kids that are like this. And you see it very early on where they have completely different personalities. And I saw it growing up in a daycare where my mom had a bunch of kiddos who were two through five, um, Mm. but Man, I mean, such, such different personalities and such little bodies. And there would be those kids that just no matter what it was, they would, they, they would just have a bigger emotional response to things. And again, nothing wrong with the child, not the child misbehaving, not anything like that. It's just who the child was. And so to me, this box just really reinforces that if that is you, there's nothing wrong with you. You're you're okay, just how you are. Even if other people don't always understand it, there there is this biological reason for it. Those are my thoughts. Sir.
1: Excellent. On to I like it since you've said it. We can now say box two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the second box. Yes, <laughs> the second box. Um. All right. Pardon the page noises, guys. I actually have the literal handout here in front of me. <laughs> Alright, right, so this one says, impulsivity also has a biological basis. Regulating action is harder for some than for others. They find it very hard to restrain impulsive behaviors, often without thinking, and they do things that get them in trouble. Sometimes their behavior seems to come out of nowhere. They find it very hard to be effective. Their moods get in the way of organizing to achieve their goals, and they cannot control behaviors linked to their moods.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I guess to start off with this one to kind of distinguish it from the last, right? In the first box that we just talked about, we're really talking about, again, kids who may grow up then to be adults who just have like the box was like bigger emotional responses. But that doesn't necessarily always mean that they have trouble controlling their impulses, and what this box is talking about is people who may not experience their emotions in a big way. They may not have big emotions. But when they do have an emotion, even if it's maybe, again, I can't think of what term to put for like a relatively mild emotion, you could say they may just act without thinking on it. So that's maybe kind of the distinction a little bit of what we're talking about here. So the first thing that came up for me with this one is I just thought about some of the clients I work with who have an ADHD diagnosis, right? Because a big component of ADHD for many people is a struggle with impulsivity and, um, yeah, would, would check some of these boxes that are talked about here, right? Moose King of the Way of organizing to achieve their goals. Someone with ADHD is going to struggle with that organization piece and all of that. But I think it's also really important here. And what I was thinking about is that, again, I was thinking about kids. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> about how if this applies to a child how important it is to have adults in that child's life who aren't going to view this child as bad. Because like it says, off without thinking they do things that get them in trouble. Behavior seems to come out of nowhere. It's hard to be effective for them. And I was just, yeah, really honing in on, man, do we need adults in the world who can see children through this lens of viewing it as this isn't like a defiant child. This is a child who, as it says on the paper, where regulating action is harder for them. That pause between thinking and doing, it is a much shorter pause for them than it's going to be for others. And then it, I think, can kind of create this food back loop where even if they weren't feeling a a really strong or big emotion to begin with, but they act on their emotion, and then if they get the response from an adult in their lives that that was bad, that was wrong, they shouldn't have done that, then they are probably going to get dysregulated. And then they're going to be more likely to do something else. That might not be a very effective or healthy choice, but just is what comes to them right off the bat. And then it just goes round and round and round. So when I, I don't know, when I think about this with adults, I didn't write any of this down in my notes, but I think again, people can be very, very hard on themselves if this is something that they, that they struggle with. And they may be judged pretty poorly by other people in their lives, especially in a workplace setting, and feel very misunderstood. And it doesn't mean that it isn't something to try to work on. Um, mindfulness here <laughs> would be great um, to really make sure that you're practicing if this, if this box resonates with you. But I think it's also just one of those things of even when, again, you're getting a lot of judgment from other people, about your struggles with this. If you know this is something, make sure that you're going to people in your lives and informing them of this. Hey, I wanna let you know up front, this is something that I struggle with. This is how you may see it show up for me at times. This is how it commonly looks. This is what I'm doing to try to work on it. And just name it, talk about it if you feel safe doing so, so then people can better understand what's going on internally for you. So you, of course, first have to recognize for yourself that this is something that you struggle with. But if you can clearly recognize that, then it is really important to communicate with other people in your life so they have a better understanding of what's going on for you.
1: What about you, Kate? I will admit that I had a harder time thinking of things to say about this one that are strictly separate from the first one because they are so, to me, interrelated, right? These are both this idea. (laughs) Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's both like your body, things about your body can make moving through the world more difficult, right? And that just, you know, in the first one, it's about emotional vulnerability. And in this one... They don't say this, but you might be able to reframe it as sort of behavioral vulnerability, right? Uh, but they're both this idea of being based in in one's physiology or biology. Uh, and so I was like, wow, most of what I want to say about that, I said. Um, I did, just like you, I was like, well, Michelle got to notes first, but I can't not mention that, of course, ADHD is the first thing I think about um, with this description, right? For myself, especially, I see this play out. Um It just, uh, one of the things I like about it is just thinking again about the lack of shame. I I know that all of these boxes to an extent touch on that, but uh, especially folks who maybe have acquired the impulse issues later in life, I think this can be a big issue. I think about like clients of mine who uh, got traumatic brain injuries, um, like a little bit later in their, in their life. And so, uh, right, the prefrontal cortex in large part is that hang on a second part of the brain Uh, that maybe is lacking in robustness in those of us with ADHD. Um, But also you can have the same results from injuries, right? From brain damage of various sorts. And that can be really hard for people to come to grips with, right? It isn't very much what's wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm fucked up. These are bad things. Um, Instead of just realizing like, oh, all of these things, all of our behaviors and our emotions, et cetera, they're all too biologically driven in the end right every feelings are uh are chemicals in the body right um and so i just love that this normalizes that yeah there are some things that either you can come into the world with or you can acquire that are just going to make it more difficult for you to control your behaviors or your impulses so i appreciate the calling it out the normalizing of it the validating of the struggles um yeah i think that's like there was one other thing I was gonna say and I don't remember what it was see there you go there's my ADHD the fact that I don't more often just stop in the middle of sentences on the podcast is actually pretty impressive <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite often will be in the middle of a sentence and realize I have no idea what the next word is in the sentence because I knew what I was saying when I started talking but sometime in the middle of talking it just
0: poof <laughs> just to, went, to me without an ADHD diagnosis went into it the ether <laughs>
1: But, right, like, uh, I think I just think it's important to recognize that, um, that, yeah, it's important to have um, radical acceptance around these things. It's not saying that it's going to feel good or easy. Like, oh, you mean like this is because of my biology? Whew! Good thing I don't have any feelings about that anymore. Right? Like, that's not that's not how that's going to work. There's definitely going to be a lot of space for uh, radical acceptance, etc, to come into play. But I still appreciate that it's normalizing the struggle. With behavioral uh, impulses as well as emotional vulnerability. I like that they bra- bothered to break it out even though it's its own uh, even though it's very much related to uh, the first one, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about this too before we move on to the next box of like one of the things that we were talking about as it pertained to closing moment and we were thinking about, well, what do we want to do for the closing moment oh, yeah. today? We were like, do we want to encourage people to think about skills that go with each of these? <laughs> we we're kind of like, ah, nah, we won't do that. But I mean, just pausing after those first two, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is why we include this handout so early on in talking about DBT yep. with people is because DBT is trying to give skills for each of these struggles. You know, yes. I mentioned mindfulness being one for this one. But also, too, I was thinking about it, you know, opposite action. Very Ride the wave. Very there to try to help. Yep. Ride the wave so that you're not just acting on what you want to yep. do right away. Yeah. So there are absolutely things, like you're saying, Kate, it's not about like, oh, now that I've realized this is just my biology, I feel totally okay with it. It's not going to probably be like that. You're probably going to be like, even though I have a better understanding maybe of myself, I still hate this. I still want this to be different. I don't, it causes me problems in my life and I don't like it. Well, good news. Yep. There are skills. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So moving on to box number three, those first two boxes were about biology. This box and the next one are about the social part of the biosocial theory And this is a long box, (laughs) so here we go. An invalidating social environment can make it very hard to regulate emotions. An invalidating environment doesn't seem to understand your emotions. It tells you your emotions are invalid, weird, wrong, or bad. It often ignores your emotional reactions and does nothing to help you. It may say things like, don't be such a baby, quit your blubbering, quit being such a chicken and just solve the problem, or normal people don't get this frustrated. People who invalidate are often doing the best they can. They may not know how to validate or how important it is to validate, or they may be afraid that if they validate your emotions, you will get more emotional, not less. They may be under high stress or time pressure, or they may have too few resources themselves. There may be just a poor fit between you and your social environment. You may be a tulip in a rose garden.
1: That's how it ends that box. (laughs) a tulip in a rose garden my dad calls it a red-headed chicken but yes uh same idea um so it's interesting michelle because i don't know i've gone over these and read them enough over the years doing it and i don't think i ever really stopped to notice this but the first thing that i was thinking about with doing the notes today i feel a little silly but honestly i was finding myself a little peeved like a little bit on the struggle bus about how the box includes talking about trying to teach folks I see it at least as sort of trying to teach folks to have compassion and understanding for the folks who aren't validating them. I'm not saying we people should not have (laughs) compassion for the people who aren't validating to them. I full force endorse having compassion for the people who struggle to invalid or struggle to validate or who are invalidating. Um, and I think these are great explanations for how and why some people end up in the space of not being a validating part of your environment. And I just didn't quite think this was the place for it, if I was being honest. So there you go. I start off with a wee bit of criticism in that I think those are good messages, but I might have put them like with an asterisk somewhere at the bottom in their own little space. Like And by the way, if you're struggling with this box, here's some reasons the people in your life might be having this problem as opposed to all together, which is funny because I think having them both there is one of the things you're commenting about liking in the next one, Michelle. So that cracks me up in the differences yep, between us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, I think we could probably say I have baggage about people who aren't validating. There you go. That's probably what this is saying. In the What people says says more about them than it does about you. <laughs> So, my having a problem with uh with that second half of it is probably said something about me. Uh, that being said, though, I do love this. I don't know a uh, piece of information because, to me, at least, it makes me think of the importance of mirroring with kids, right? And how um, we can have a hard time even knowing how to identify what our emotions are. If we didn't have uh, or don't have caretakers who mirror us. Um, it's funny, Michelle, you've been thinking about kids all the rest of the time. This was the first time I started thinking about kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, was this one because I mean, uh, like little, 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 little kids, right? Like infants and stuff in that whole same like zero to three kind of age uh, where, you know, if you've ever noticed, folks, um, that most people, many people, I think we're in the most people. uh, n- naturally, when they're looking at a baby, make big facial expressions back at the baby, Uh, right? That's mirroring, you are teaching that kid what their face is doing and what emotions they're feeling. Uh, And it's so vital, it's so important to have accurate mirrors in our world, and that having inaccurate and especially invalidating uh, mirroring from our parents can have such negative impacts, right, where we don't know ourselves we struggle to notice when we're feeling what we're feeling uh etc uh, let alone regulating what we're feeling which I know you talk a little bit more about in your thing but uh, I thought that this spoke really eloquently to how difficult uh being invalidated can uh, I too can speak how difficult it can make regulating one's emotions to have an invalidating environment and in my brain I thought about how much uh that um, how it enha- enhances—that's the wrong way. of Magnifies. There you go. That's better way. Magnifies that struggle when it's uh, when that invalidating environment is from the get-go. Right? Is the people who are raising you. So, I think that's where I went to. What about you, Michelle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I actually had some thoughts coming to me,
0: hearing you talk about how that second part of what it was talking about yeah. when it starts off with the people who invalidate are often doing the best yeah. they can, how you bristled at that. And I was like, huh, yeah. why didn't I bristle at that? Like, yeah. why was that the part that I really honed in on in my response? And to be honest, I think part of it, here comes some dialectics, everybody. Um oh, Man, I'm invalidating of other people. I don't mean to be. But I yeah, yeah. am like mm-hmm. I think about with my husband because he's certainly I would say maybe falls into the box one category. Mm-hmm. I think he he just he feels his emotions really big um, mm-hmm. and he's very sensitive and very tuned into the emotions of other people and feels very impacted by those. Some of that does come from being raised with trauma. Some of that I think might be just him. So he he fits <laughs> when we were talking about with box number one. Have I invalidated him, even if not out loud, internally? Yeah, I have. Where I'm just kind of like, why are you responding like that? Like this is not that big of a deal. It's fine, right? Even if I'm not saying it out loud. That's what's going on. <laughs> so. I think the big dialectic here is that most, if not all, of us have at some point in time felt invalidated by. Somebody in our lives, a parent, a teacher, a friend, a partner, someone, maybe even on a daily basis in bigger, small ways, we were invalidated. We are also probably invalidating others.
1: That's a good so, point.
0: Yeah. So, um, and also, I think a big part of my work in therapy has been trying to get to this place where I'm, I don't know. Thinking about my mom, <laughs> uh, you know, and how I have often felt invalidated by her um, at times in my life, I could just start from this really angry place about it, right? It's not fair. It's not right that I was invalidated. Not okay. Which is all true. But do I want to stay in that angry place? Does it serve me to stay in that angry place? probably not. It probably serves me better. And this is where I've worked to get to, to be in this place of, again, dialectically, oh, that was not fair to me that she invalidated me at certain points in my life. And also, I i, I like the word compassion you were using, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get to a place where I'm, Having compassion for her, not just feeling angry about that. I can feel angry, but I can also feel compassion. Um, and how to make space for both those things. So, yeah, you're so smart. <laughs> a <lot of> dialectics. <laughs> um. So on that again, I, some of the things I wrote down in my notes. Um, because again, I've, I find a lot of times for my clients. When it comes to parents, we're talking a lot about kids and parenting and all that stuff today with going over this handout, which I didn't necessarily fully expect <laughs> it would be so focused on that. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I work with a lot of people who find their greatest healing when they can better understand their parents. It doesn't mean they have to like what they did or how they treated them in childhood because oftentimes their parents treated them horrifically in childhood, but they find healing in adulthood when again, they they get to that place where they're like, hmm, not that it was okay. None of it was okay. And also, I can understand that they were trying their best. It's totally that thing we talk about a lot of like, they were trying their best and they could have done a lot better. Um, but that when you can really get to that place with some of the things it was talking about later on in the box, it can be really healing because many times – um, what's really going on behind all of this, why people are being invalidating in the first place is because they were never validated. I tell people sometimes, I'm like, you can't expect somebody to speak a language they have never heard spoken.
1: Mm. How
0: how would they learn? If they were not ever spoken to in a loving way, then they grow up to not speak to others in a loving way. Now, can they learn? Sure, right? And that's where it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry that, like, I wish they had learned. They should have learned 100%. That's also why they didn't, maybe, right? Um, parents who don't have emotion regulation skills themselves often raise children who also don't have emotion regulation skills. It just keeps <laughs> <Kate's> waving, <laughs> like yep. Um, it just it's it becomes this intergenerational thing that just gets passed down. Honestly, until somebody wakes up and goes, "Wait a second, this is not healthy," and I need help to learn. I need somebody to teach me this new language. And then when they learn the new language, then they can teach it to others, and they can you know quote unquote speak it themselves. But. Yeah, there's just a whole lot of shit that can get passed down. And it is, it's really that dialectical space of being able to say, I am not okay with how I was treated at all because I know it wasn't healthy and I know it wasn't okay to have my emotions invalidated so often. And I also don't want to like hold on, hold on to that, like bitterness or resentment or like whatever word you'd want to put there. Like, I kind of want to hold on to that. My whole life, I want to be able to have a different experience with this person, even if it's an experience where it's like I'm just neutral, right? I don't maybe have a relationship with them. I don't feel positively towards them at all, but I also don't hate them anymore. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know mm-hmm. that's a really valid place to get to. You don't have to feel positively towards somebody who's caused you so much pain. Uh, nobody is saying that that's the goal here, um, but the goal is to like feel, I think, lighter within yourself so that you don't feel like you're carrying all the trauma that came from being in an invalidating social environment, because that's a lot of trauma to carry around. Um I talked a lot for that one, but it's a big <laughs> box. There was a lot that came up, so.
1: Yeah, no, no, and it's interesting, because, you know, obviously, as you're talking about it, I think about, the di- again, the differences there. Uh, I will say, I wish they'd word it differently, because I do think mm. you're spot on with what they meant which is trying to see that you can be in both roles of the invalidated and the invalidator i guess mm-hmm. um so i wish they'd put it that way instead of making it people which sounds like it's trying to talk to somebody outside yeah. of the person they've been speaking to the rest of the time so i i where i remaking the entirety of the handout would change the wording so that was more obvious um but once you say it and it is more obvious uh I was just thinking one of my other, uh, I don't know, cadisms, one of, that I talk about with my clients all the time is just, you will be a dick sometimes. Yeah. So how do we like move through that instead of assume, like wholesale trying to avoid it? Uh, how do we repair from it or whatever? So this sounds like, yeah, have compassion for yourself when you're the asshole. You have reasons for why you're being the asshole too. Um, and probably stop. Uh, the, <laughs> and work on that <laughs> and work on that exactly and work on that dialectics uh, anyway thank you for sharing that michelle that was i like that that was helpful um this is why i like having someone whose brain is a little less borked than mine to talk about these things with um it's nice on to number four unlike your last one this one is short <laughs> This says, an ineffective social environment is a big problem when you want to learn to regulate emotions and actions. Your Your environment may reinforce out of control emotions and actions. If people give in when you get out of control, it will be hard for you to get in control. And if others command you to change... But don't coach you on how to do this. It will be hard to keep on trying to change. Mm
0: -hmm. Oftentimes what we'll do when we give this handout as extra homework is we'll tell people, you know, take some time to read this over, reflect on it. Think about which box maybe most applies to you. Which box just resonates the most with your life experiences. My hunch that very few people would pick this box here Mm. Uh, because I don't think this is a box we want to admit to all Mm. the time that, oh, I'm continuing to have as it puts it on the handout, out of control, emotions, and actions because I'm getting something from it. (laughs) I just don't think many people would want to admit that. But... This is true, right? Like, this comes down to the whole thing of, like, there's always a reason for why we do what we do. And we always have a goal behind why we're doing what we're doing. Something that we want at all times. We may not always know what it is, but there's, there's something. <laughs> and, um, we kind of talked about this in, uh, I don't know what the title of the episode would be. The one where we talk
1: about all the behaviorism stuff. Uh, oh, oh, uh, how do, Decrease unwanted behaviors? Yes. That's what the handouts like are called. I don't know if that's what we called the episode. Though. Yeah. <laughs> but well, we talked
0: about that kind of thing, right? Which yeah. is basically just like, okay, if you want somebody to change their behavior, you either need to like reinforce the behavior that you want to see, the new behavior, and make that like a desirable thing for somebody. Or you need to take away the thing that they're getting from the unwanted behavior because they're getting something from it. And when that's removed, they'll realize, oh, wait, hold on a second. Now I'm still doing this thing, but I'm not getting the result I want. Time to try something different to get the result that I want. So if you think this box doesn't apply to you, (laughs) check it, check it out again. It probably does. Um, Because the reality is in a lot of situations, not a lot of situations, but definitely some, right? Behaving poorly, you could say, works better than behaving well. Behaving well takes a lot of work. Regulating our emotions takes a lot of work. And when you realize that, oh, if I can still get the thing I want and I don't have to do all that work, why wouldn't you do it? Of course you're going to do it, right? Why fix it if it ain't broken, I think, is the As the saying goes, Uh, bringing some parenting into this one, because we're talking about parenting and kids in every box a little bit, right? I try to be really hyper aware of this as a parent um, where I'm just like, okay, you know, I really want to not be that parent that's like, okay, you're freaking out and I just want you to calm down. So what's the quickest, nearest thing I could give you that will calm you down, right? A snack, a video, whatever it is, I'll just do it. <laughs> um, do I have moments like that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I'm human. Those moments do happen. But I also try to be very aware of like, well, what did Noah just learn from this experience? And would I have wanted to teach him something different, right? Um, in terms of, okay, I see what you're after. I see what you want. Now, what's a better way to get that thing? What's the behavior that I want to see from you in order to do that for you? And I'm sure this will become much more complex as he gets older beyond the age <laughs> of two. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. But this totally applies in adulthood too as far as just what do we – What do we get from our relationships that we have with other people? How do other people respond and react to us? Life is this big experiment where no matter how old we get, we're constantly testing things. We're not consciously testing things, but we're testing things at all times, right? If I do blank, then what happens? And we're learning. So... It's just something to think about with this one that, yeah, sometimes you may be behaving, I guess we could say, maybe more from an an emotion mind place, perhaps, um, because, I mean, we all know that getting into wise mind is not easy. That's hard to do. <laughs> and are there things in the environment that keep that cycle going for you?
1: Nice. All right. Yeah, I, uh, for this one, the second half, uh, well, no, I'll back up. I first want to say, I agree with you, Michelle, that everybody has this play out in their lives somewhere to some extent. If you think you don't, check again. I endorse that thought. <laughs> it may not mean, I think sometimes how extreme they make the language can make it harder to spot. Uh, it might not be what you consider out of control emotions and behaviors, right? Like, I like better the way you were putting it, like, behaving poorly. Right, like yeah. not not great <laughs> kind of behavior all behave but that gets you what you subjects. want better right like more than than perhaps behaving more skillfully and i'm gonna say that shows up for everybody that being said i thought you spoke really well to that part so um i i actually did have it stand out a lot to me the second half of that where it talks about being you know told to change but not really being told how and i because i have definitely had a lot of Times of frustration. Sorry, yawning. Ah, Okay. Um, Lots of times of frustration around things like that where people have, you know, told me I'm too much or whatever, have demanded I change in some fashion or another, but without any guidance either on what to do differently or how to do something differently right it's just like change okay yeah but no change oh how uh, change to what change right and you're like okay i give up right like i can't i can't even like a very table flippy inducing or like throw in the towel inducing when you're like i am i'm willing to put in effort but i need help (laughs) like i need guidance uh in order to do this otherwise i'm just gonna keep doing the thing i've been doing um so i i really liked the second half of that and how it how it calls out that uh, sometimes the very things that people are trying to do to elicit change from us can be the thing that makes it harder to change uh, and harder to regulate our feelings.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we're down to the last box now, which is really just a summary. It's just summarizing the previous four things we've talked about here. It says, it's the transactions that count between the person and the social environment. Biology and the social environment influence the person. The person reciprocates and influences his or her social environment. The social environment reciprocates and influences the person, and so on and on and on. (laughs) So, make sense of that, Kate?
1: (laughs) I know. I like it. Your own words, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, instead of saying and so on, I would, or just and on and on and on, the fact that they said and so on and on and on, I'm like, know ah, if you put those things together. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, no, they say transactions, and I pretty much change that to relationships mm. um, between things, and I, I like it because nothing is static, and I think that that's something you can, if you choose to, read into this box, Right. Uh, for instance, the issues that we have behaviorally or emotionally may not show up in every environment that we're in. Maybe we don't struggle with emotion regulation at all while we're at work. And that shows up a thousand times worse when we're with family, right? Um, it may be that other people may not take issue with the same behaviors of ours. as you know. Some people may be like, oh my God, Kate, I can't believe you say fuck every 15th word. Um, and then there's the people who... Hopefully, they're in my life who don't give a fuck. Um, right? Like, different, different environments are going to have different levels of problems with us. We're going to have different levels of our problems in different, uh, environments. Our day to day biology changes, right? With the things like illness or injury or sleep deprivation or whatever's going on. And so, to me, this, it did just highlight again, they say transactions. I think relationships, right? How there is this, constantly changing relationship between our bodies slash biologies and our environment and how, because both of those are changing in some way or another, to some extent or another all the time. That means all of these things are in flux. Right. And I think that also helps us see ourselves as more complicated. uh, Like as (laughs) help see ourselves more accurately as complicated as we are. Right. Rather than a, I'm just a stupid bad person who can't regulate uh, my emotions. Right. Like, Think about, really? <laughs> like, let's look at this a little bit more um, nuanced. And so I think this gives a lot of space for nuance and and dynamic changes um, mm-hmm. over time. So that was what I noticed in that. What about you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it says, you know, the person reciprocates and influences his or her social environment and the social environment reciprocates and influences the person. You know, it's kind of like there's so much that goes on in our social environment that we can't control, that goes on around us, that the way other people behave, all of that stuff that is outside of our, that's outside of our hands. But I say this actually often on the podcast, right? We are in control of what we think, feel, and do, even if we can't control the environment that we're in all the time, or what other people think, feel, or do, or what prompting events take place in our lives. But we do get to control our, what happens internally for us when those stressful, overwhelming, hard, bad, whatever word you want to use, things happen, and then what we do in response. So sometimes it's really easy for us to parcel through what we're thinking and feeling, and then make a decision about what to do, that's a very effective, skillful choice. And then sometimes it's really hard to do that. Um, it's really hard to make an effective choice. And some of that, yeah, it is. It's, it's going to be influenced by what environment we are in. So some of it, it really is. It's it's so dialectical about it's it's remembering that, you know, I do have some agency here, right? I, the person, as it says in the handout, I, the person, reciprocate and influence my social environment. I do. I, I am in charge of what I think, feel, and do. And I also want to remember that there are a lot of things happening around me at all times that I can't control, that are inevitably influencing me, that my brain is processing, right? Our brains are processing and taking in information at all times. So my brain is taking in whatever's going on around me that is oftentimes outside of my control and trying to make sense of it the best way that it can and trying to then help me make whatever I think may be the best decision in the moment, So it's just remembering both of those things because I think sometimes we could get really hyper-focused on one or the other of like believing that we are supposed to be able to control a bunch of things that we really can't or taking more of a victim mentality where we're just like, well, it's everybody else's fault. No, no to both those (laughs) things. (laughs) Sorry, but no, um. And kind of what you're saying, Kate, I like that you want to replace the, you know, it's the transactions that count between the person and the social environment. You would replace that by saying it's the relationships that count between the person and the social environment. I was thinking that same thing that really what I think is being touched on here, even though they don't use this terminology, is to notice how it feels when we are in healthy, secure environments or relationships compared to unhealthy ones. We're going to feel and act likely very differently. Um, and that that's why it becomes so important to recognize if we are in, as it was putting it on the handout, ineffective social environments. Sometimes you can remove yourself from those environments or those relationships. Sometimes you can't, or it's much, 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 much harder to do, but um, but just recognizing that, yeah, like when I'm in a healthy, secure, safe environment, yep, that influences my biology. My biology is going to be calmer. I'm probably going to behave better. When I'm in an unsafe, unhealthy environment or relationship, that's going to be activating. I may not act the best. Now, that's. <laughs> it's still good to work on skills so that you can try to make decisions that are still going to feel good for you and not decisions that may have long-term consequences or ramifications for you or things like that. It doesn't give you an excuse to just opt out, right? That victim mentality doesn't give you an excuse to opt out of trying to be skillful, even when you are in an ineffective environment. But yeah, it's just really pointing to, I think that there are going to be environments that feel easier and environments that feel harder. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you get to choose how you show
1: up in either one.
0: That's where nice.
1: I would leave that. All right. So next, I guess we're just sharing our takeaways or the thing that we most resonated with. Um, for me, that was the first one, box one, right? Uh, with the emotional vulnerability being biological uh, in large part because I am one of those people who has historically consistently been told that i was too much too emotional too sensitive too reactive (laughs) right i've been told by people that uh my personal emotional scale my one is at most people's four right like that i just have a more intense emotional setting than the people around me so it's just nice to have a non-shaming explanation for why that is. And also that helps guide me towards what the best skills are going to be for me, right? That we didn't spend too much time harping on the different skills that would (laughs) go with each of these. Uh, Michelle, I know you touched on it a little bit, but realistically, that information is there, right? If you're looking for it, each of these different things gives pretty good hints as to which kinds of skills are going to be the best for uh, handling issues that are most closely tied to each one of these different boxes. So, um, and I suspect, uh, for me at least, it also feels like it does the most to help me, like understand those around me. Is just remember that everybody's bodies are different and that feelings are bo- feelings are bodies, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> they, they are they are bodily things. Um, and so uh, I think it helps me have some of that compassion that apparently I struggled to have in the third one <laughs> uh, <laughs> for other people. Uh, so yeah, I think box number one is is it for me.
0: Nice. I would say unrelated to the boxes, I am gonna take away what you were saying in box number one about how there's no such thing as an overreaction. I'm gonna ah. I'm gonna remember that and try to keep it in mind when I am invalidating others. <laughs> <laughs> and their emotional responses at times. Um, the thing that stood out most for me, right, because I was thinking about, okay, when do I struggle to regulate my emotions? Nobody is perfectly regulating their emotions at all times. <laughs> it's not possible. So when I'm struggling with regulating my emotions and I look at these boxes, what's the biggest reason that I would get for myself? And I would say for me, it is box number three. I struggle to regulate my emotions when I'm in an invalidating social environment, is what I would say for myself. And so knowing that, having that awareness, then what maybe feels like something to take away right then what do I do with that <laughs> if I'm aware that that's what makes it hard for me to regulate and um I was I was thinking maybe again because we were talking about kids and parenting so much and thinking about myself as a young child mm-hmm. um and how at times I again not all the time of course but like I there were times where I was invalidated by my mother. Absolutely. Um, there are still times where I've been validated by her. And what helps me with that? And for me, it's the point that it made about um, how someone may be under high stress or time pressure, or they may have too few resources themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just speaks to, I think, my specific situation with my mother of, oh, yep. This is probably what made it hard for her. Um, And again, also when I look at, oh, what makes it hard for me to validate other people? Same thing, right? Um, It gives other alternative options. Oh, you may not know how to validate. You may be afraid that if you validate them, you know, uh, nope, not that for me. If I'm struggling to be validating towards others, it's because I'm under high stress. It's because I'm struggling to feel resourced myself. And that that's a good reminder. If I want to be more validating um, of other people, I need to make sure that I'm well-resourced. And also, if other people are being invalidating of me, they're probably under-resourced. That's that's probably a big reason why they're struggling to be validating of me. Now, is that fair? Of course it's not fair. (laughs) But, That may be what it is. And it's better that I accept, oh, they're having a hard time with me because they're having a hard time. Then to, again, just feel that like bitterness towards them or like deciding that uh, because it's not fair, I'm just not even going to bother to try and understand their perspective. Oftentimes I find that it's that one. So that spoke to me specifically, that part of the third box.
1: I think you're still up for talking about Coffee Hour. Yes, I
0: will talk about Coffee Hour. So last month's Coffee Hour, uh, well, I say last month, earlier this month because we're still in January. It just feels like a long time ago. (laughs) Um, For January's Coffee Hour, we spent the time talking about how to teach mindfulness skills to clients. Uh, We really talked about some of the key things that Kate and I share about mindfulness that we think are important take-home messages. And coming up next month in February, on February 5th, so right around the corner, it will be here before we know it, um, we're going to be doing that exact same thing just with distress tolerance skills. Distress tolerance skills pack some whammies. (laughs) Uh, This includes radical acceptance. This includes some big acronyms like improve and accepts. Um, This includes pros and cons. This includes stop and tip. I mean, there's a lot of distress tolerance skills. And basically, we're going to be talking through how we structure uh, the distress tolerance module, what skills are taught when, the order we teach skills in, uh, kind of a basic agenda for how to um, lead each of those groups when you're teaching the skills, but also like the activities that we do around the skills and tips and suggestions we have for how you can best teach these skills from a professional standpoint to clients. Because that's, again, the, I think the big rationale for why we started Coffee Hour is really coming up with these topics that we're getting into now, which is that you can know the skills backwards and forwards fantastic. You may have a great understanding of the distress tolerance skills. And then teaching them to other people is a different ballgame. It is harder than you may think, even if you have a really good working knowledge of what you're talking about. You want to make sure you're teaching it in a way that people will understand and remember. So that's what coffee hour is going to be all about for February. So you can sign up with the link in the show notes and come join us either live or for the replay. Um, We had some great live attendees uh, earlier this month for the mindfulness one. We really enjoyed that. So we'd love to see folks live if you can make it, but no pressure. If you can't, you will get the replay afterwards and you can still hear all of our thoughts and get, um,
1: get the recording sounds I that's good hour. i think that's it so i think we're on to closing moment unless you have any yes. last minute thoughts i don't i don't think so i think
0: i'm okay. ready for a closing moment
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right then <sighs> as for usual just start by getting into a comfortable position you don't need to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you are naturally it's just about tuning in. About really focusing in and noticing the rhythms and the sensations of your breath. And letting them welcome you. Into your body and into the present moment. So as we were saying today during the episode, it is our beliefs that All of these different elements are in play in everyone's life. Our biology, the social factors are there for everyone. So for today's closing moment, I'm just going to slowly and gently invite you to consider how and where each of these different elements perhaps shows up or is playing out the most in your life. Awareness is the first step to being able to address anything, so hoping to bring some gentle awareness and validation to those parts of your life today. So, the first one, once again, is emotional vulnerability is biological. It's simply how some people are born. So take a moment and consider how is this true for you? Where does this show up the most? How do you see your personal biology, be that things you were born with or things you've acquired along the way? How are those playing out? How do those make you vulnerable? Where are those impacting you emotionally? We're all housed in human bodies. How does your body show up for you? The second reads, impulsivity also has a biological basis. Regulating action is harder for some than for others. Where do you get impulsive? Under what situations do you find you leap before you look, speak before you think? Where do you find you have a hard time finding organization or control? What moods are most likely to cause swift action in you? No right or wrong answers, of course, to any of these. It's just about bringing curiosity to the foreground. I'm really trying to see for yourself these play out for you. The third reads, an invalidating social environment can make it very hard to regulate emotions. And this one again is the one that talks about people struggling to validate you or you struggling to validate others. Where do either or both of those show up the most for you in your life? Are there certain emotional states that make you more likely to struggle with validating others? Are there relationships in your world where you notice you feel the most invalidated? Are there people or relationships you struggle to validate? What do you notice happens for you when you're feeling invalidated? The fourth reads, an ineffective social environment is a big problem when you want to learn to regulate emotions and actions. Where are your poor behaviors or poor emotion regulation? Where is that reinforced in your world? Where do you get more of what you want or swifter access to something you want based on behaviors that perhaps you don't? Or where is someone demanding that you change without giving you the tools for how? And how does that feel? Where do you notice it in your body when you think about those situations. And in summary, it's the transactions or relationships that count between the person and the social environment. This one is talking to the reciprocity I think in particular between ourselves and our environment, our environment and ourselves. What relationships stand out the most to you when you think about where you perhaps are impacting your environment, where your environment is most impacting you and where perhaps your biology is having the biggest hand to play in those relationships. No right, no wrong, no good, nor bad. Just asking yourself the questions and seeing where the answers lead. But for now, you go ahead and try and come back into the room and into your body. You might do some deep breaths or gentle stretching. Whatever feels good and right to your body. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, everybody.
0: To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcasts.